Hey, what's going on? I'm Doug Cunnington, and welcome to The Doug Show. This is episode 100. So we made it through 100 episodes. Congratulations, everyone. Thanks for going on the journey with me. In this episode, I'm going to talk about a few things that I've learned and some of my observations in recording 100 episodes. And we have a couple voicemails that were sent in as well from Ryan and from Chris. And from Ryan, he asked about uh, like what to do when products are not available on Amazon while you're, you know, running an Amazon affiliate type website. And then Chris asked about, um, like keyword cannibalization and a couple like details, especially with the keyword golden ratio. So like I said, it's episode 100 and technically, technically there's been a few more episodes than that. I I released a couple bonus episodes that weren't, I guess I didn't number them as such, but it it doesn't matter. Um, Overall, (laughs) we reached a hundred. It's a lot of episodes. That's the whole point here. And it was around, I guess, around this time last year, um, sort of the Q4, the end of 2018, where I finally, I finally couldn't ignore it. I was like, I really want to record a podcast that is around affiliate marketing. For the diehard fans, um, you may know, you may realize that my wife and I did a short-lived podcast for a few months called Survive the 9 to 5. And we talked about like corporate life and that sort of thing. It was cool. You know, it was fun to work on a project together. We were talking about a lot of the ideas anyway, still out there. And um, on a small level, I started to like re-release that content on this podcast feed. Um, I'll come back to that maybe at the end. It may just be irrelevant. But um, anyway, my wife and I recorded about 20 episodes. We talked about corporate stuff. Um, There was a good cop, bad cop component. I'll let you figure out which which of us was good and bad. And it was pretty fun. It was pretty fun to do that. And we learned and I learned the mechanics of like recording an episode, um, like pre-production, post-production, some of the other details and that sort of thing. So anyway, um, the tail end of 2018, I was like, I really want to talk about affiliate marketing topics. I really want to talk about just random shit that I'm interested in, which that is one of the the uh, points that I'm going to bring up. But at some point, I was like, I got, I, I got to do it. I think it'll be a good outlet in another way to, you know, I guess, extend the platform of Niche Site Project and Doug Cunnington and just have like another outlet. The cool part is I knew that I was going to be able to repurpose podcast content in other ways. I was also going to repurpose other content into a podcast so that brings me to like one of the the points. I sort of cheated and I thought to myself, well, I have so much on my plate. I want to make sure I'm not overextending myself. And why don't I look at some of the existing content that I have and what's the easiest way for me to repurpose it? So I have, I don't know, probably a couple dozen at least, maybe multiple dozen interviews on YouTube that I can 
like take the audio, repurpose it and put it into a form that would fit for a podcast. So before I even started, like before I bought the domain, before I got into it, I was like, can I come up with about 25 episodes that are either straightforward for me to record by myself or um, that are already recorded because they're an interview that I could repurpose. It may not be completely evergreen, but at least it is a, you know, an interview that I could publish as a podcast. The answer was yes. So I pretty quickly came up with 25 episodes. And if you go back to the first several episodes, you'll see they are indeed interviews. Uh, probably like 50% of the, f- the first 20 are interviews or something like that. So it cut my work, um, not necessarily in half, but it reduced it qu- quite a bit. Now, I do all the editing for the podcast my, myself. So that is something that I could turn over, but um, I try and keep it simple. I, you know, the fact is I don't, <laughs> I don't want to have a big team. I don't want to have people waiting for me to give them work or anything like that. Yes, I know there's services out there. Yes, I know there are ad hoc um, freelancers that would work with me. But the fact is, there's no direct revenue at this time coming in for this podcast. So I'm not running ads, which maybe I'll do that in the future. You know, there's nothing, I don't see anything wrong with uh, running ads of some kind in the future or have some mentions or something like that. But, um, you know, for the first 100 episodes, it's just me talking about either no products or my own product or the occasional affiliate product mention. So anyway, um, that was a, going back to the original point, I repurposed content because I wanted to make sure I wasn't biting off more than I could chew. And uh, point number two is one of, the, one of the drivers to do the podcast was I wanted to I wanted to have a nicer audience, basically. So don't don't tell anyone, you podcast listeners. But um, when I compare podcast listeners to YouTube viewers, yeah, I know there's some overlap. Um, YouTube viewers can be pretty mean. Um, there are internet trolls out there. All right, there are there are mean people in the world. And they don't give a fuck about you. And they'll tell you in your YouTube comments. And uh, I mean, it's just part of the game, right? No one cared in the beginning. As more people start watching your videos, as you're becoming a little bit more successful. And people are actually maybe sharing your videos. People are watching. Maybe they're re-watching your videos. Um, that is when you start attracting like more negative comments. And I knew it was going to, you know, eventually pop up. I've, I've had it in other areas. Um, but on YouTube, I was just like, man, it's kind of, it's kind of a bummer. What if I didn't have like an easy of a mechanism to get, um, you know, bullshit comments that I don't care about podcasting sort of solved the problem and, the the feedback that I get for the podcast is much more gracious. So kudos to you, fine listeners out there. The voicemails are good. Um, I mean, it's great. It's great overall. And I really enjoy the podcast uh, listener. I enjoy the format. I mean, I have been 
a podcast fan since 2007, not internet marketing or anything like that, but I was listening to home brewing and uh, beer related podcasts. Absolutely loved them. They were, they were more like radio shows in a lot of ways, but um, really enjoyed those back in the day. And I'm a fan of podcasts. I listen to them now as well. So uh, with that said, I was hoping that uh, these podcasts were going to be just, I guess, more enjoyable for me to, to create and helpful. And I hopefully it was, you know, if I got feedback, it was going to be not necessarily like constructive criticism, but at least something that I could do with it. And I have gotten some feedback, by the way. Um, and it was in the form of constructive criticism versus on YouTube, you know, people will call you out for like the clothes you're wearing or some, you know, minor thing. If you mispronounce a word when you're like, you know, recording something live, I mean, it's pretty rough out there. It's a rough world. Um, you know, it didn't, it didn't like depress me or get me down, but it was more, <laughs> you know what? I, I will skip the rant, but I can insert a rant right here about uh, YouTube viewers. And you could just imagine what I would say but I will spare you because <laughs> it's not a positive thing. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Point number three, we'll see if we can count these out. I didn't number them ahead of time. I'm probably going to add some at the end, but uh, point number three was slow growth. All right, so I, I learned and I expected this to be slow growth. Um, I have the luxury that I have an email list and I have a YouTube channel that I could sort of funnel people over to the podcast, um, especially with that initial set of listeners and stuff. That was really important. And, you know, from the beginning, a handful of people have been interested in listening to the podcast. And that is Georgie. She's interested in you hearing her protect the house here. But basically, as I had like more guests on as I was covering different topics uh, in general and just kind of, you know, getting out there, mentioning the podcast, more people are listening. So very slow growth. And, you know, at this point in time, I still have, I, I would consider a very modest number of downloads per episode. Usually in the first, I would say week or so, there's about couple hundred downloads per episode and I'm releasing two per week. So about 400 downloads per week, not huge. I mean, for the amount of, you know, time that I've put into it and the interviews and all this stuff, it's not a huge number of downloads compared to, you know, someone else who's putting in a similar amount of time, but maybe they've been at it for a lot longer, like say Spencer Hawes at Niche Pursuits or the Authority Hacker guys or whoever, fill in the blank. Um, of, yes, they, they, those guys that I just mentioned, they have much bigger blogs, uh, you know, much bigger platforms, bigger networks. They've been around longer, all those things. And they've been podcasting for a lot longer. They potentially are, you know, putting in, a lot more time and effort in pre-production, post-production, or not, or not. There's a million factors and I know, and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to just show up, think that, you know, my content is fantastic or whatever, and I was going to like shoot to the top. So I knew it was going to be a grind and I am just beginning, you know, we're hitting a hundred episodes and I feel like I'm just beginning this uh, like podcasting journey, I guess. So 
one thing I do know is uh, typically, not always, but a lot of times with something like this where it's slow growth and sort of painstaking, a painstaking process, usually that gives you a little bit more longevity. Like it's not an overnight success. So it's unlikely that it's going to just like drop off a cliff. So I'm also getting better as far as like my, my skills. I hope I'm speaking better. I did realize with that survive the nine to five show, um, (laughs) that I did with my wife that, uh, Drinking and podcasting, not a great idea. I mean, maybe a beer or so, but we actually recorded two episodes after we went to a, uh, it was supposed to be a happy hour, but it ended up being like several happy hours, a really good deal at the place we were at. And we came back and I was like, yeah, let's, uh, let's fire up the recorder. We'll get, we'll get a couple episodes out. And it was just a train wreck. I think it was out there in the wild for, um, a few weeks. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to pull this. It's kind of, it's pretty bad. So, um, I did learn that. I did learn that. So, (laughs) so like I said, I I maybe would have a, a beer, but typically I, I try to record when I have a high energy level. Like right now it's like sort of the middle of the day. Um, I had a coffee not too long ago. I feel good. I have some energy. So yeah, just some micro things like to understand when certain, certain things are a good idea, like uh, podcasting when you have the right amount of energy. So another, another point, I think we're on four now, I, I've already lost count, is uh, podcast analytics. So there's a couple points that I want to cover with the analytics. So number one, I knew the analytics were not going to be as good um, as YouTube analytics. So YouTube provides a staggering, overwhelming amount of information for you. So I can, yeah, I can see like the number of impressions as far as like people that have been suggested um, a video. I can see how long people watch on average. I know how many viewers and I'm, I'll just stop there. There's dozens of pieces of data that you can get on your videos and really dissect it. If you if you saw some of the CSVs that I downloaded and tried to look through, it would it would blow your mind. I mean, there's so much information on every single video that you publish and you can sort of find trends or make yourself believe things that you know, maybe aren't true just based on the data and slicing and dicing it a certain way. While that's very interesting to have all that data, it also kind of kind of gets in the way of the creative process. It makes you make like very weird decisions at times where maybe it's not the best thing for the viewer, maybe not the best thing for me, but the data looks like it's a good idea to, you know, I don't have a good example at this point, but like a video on a certain topic or a certain kind of thumbnail or something like that, like you can like, make weird decisions based on having all that data. So one of the pros with a podcast for me at the time that I was thinking about it was, hey, I'm not going to have so much data. I'll probably have some handle on the number of downloads, but I really won't have too much data to pour over and I could just create the content. I can have this sort of slower feedback cycle and understand like what people like, what they don't like, and just see how it goes. So, So that's great. 
The thing that I have seen, at least with a couple of the podcast hosting providers, right? Um, I use Castos right now and it's, it's great. Um, it's sort of like unlimited in a lot of ways, pretty straightforward to like upload and, you know, publish an episode. Very, very straightforward. They brag like many of the other, many of the other podcast hosting companies that they provide like good analytics and they have a WordPress plugin to help you see analytics on the dashboard and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's off. There's something wrong. Like when I look at the analytics on my dashboard in WordPress and I look at the analytics on my like Castos account, it's off. And I've, you know, I've emailed them. I pointed out the bugs. Um, I, you know, I used to work in software. So I try to provide like some helpful information, not to be a know-it-all, but there's a bug and I want it to be fixed because I'm getting like bad information. And it was one of the things the analytics, that was one of the like bragging points. It's one of the features and benefits that Castos, you know, publishes on their website. And by the way, all, all of the hosting podcast hosting companies have some sort of similar thing. And uh, I, can't, uh, I think the other company I used was Blueberry in the beginning, but it was a little more expensive and they sort of charge based on the length of the episode or maybe the size of the file of the audio files. And it just gets a little complicated because I don't want to like, I guess, have to throttle down a specific episode and not record as much information or have to edit it down because, you know, it's an hour and a half long and I only had 57 minutes left. I don't want to have to worry about that. So anyway, I moved over. Turns out, I think the analytics on the podcasting side seem to be terrible. Um, even if they're trying to keep track of it, it seems to be a little bit inaccurate, at least in the case of Castos. And by the way, I I actually emailed I emailed the uh, the tech support, and I, I think it's the owner as well. It's a pretty. I mean, a lot of these companies are like small bootstrap teams. Um, anyway, I followed up again, like. Hey, is are the analytics still messed up? The data is off. They were supposed to push a, a fix and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, the analytics are not only hard to get, they're sometimes inaccurate and inconsistent based on the tool that you're using. So if you run into that when you're uh, you know, looking at your podcast data, don't be surprised. It doesn't really, really matter. Um, you know, I'm not running ads. I'm not being paid based on the number of downloads or anything like that. But in a relative sense, it is helpful for me to see like, oh, more people downloaded this episode or these types of episodes or the overall trend each week is that more people are downloading um, episodes. That's great. So in a relative sense, it is helpful. And then speaking of episodes that people like, I can tell people do enjoy Q&As. They, they like the community aspect. People like to have their questions answered. And usually, you know, not always, but usually if you have a question, other people have a similar question. And I do try to generalize questions um, so that it, hopefully it helps more people. So people like the Q&As for sure. And the other part is success stories. So some of the episodes that have the most downloads are success stories with a sexy headline. And 
that is another point there. I definitely completely lost count at this point, but people, and I do this too, right? So if you, you are checking new episodes for the Doug show and you see a crappy title, then you're probably not going to listen to it. You may look at the show notes and see maybe if it's a topic that you're interested in, maybe the headline, the title of the show is not great. The title of the episode is just generic or not interesting, but those success stories, it's pretty easy to write a good headline where it's like, so-and-so was making, you know, $10,000 per month and they did it in five months. Yeah. People want to check that one out, you know? Um, usually it's in the form of that where it's like result in X amount of time. Those work really well. So that, that'll probably work well for, you know, headlines for blog posts, by the way, um, episodes for a podcast or videos on YouTube. So those seem to work out really well. And um, I mean, I like doing those episodes also. And one other thing to uh, sort of call back as far as like the number of downloads, I this year have been publishing a lot more content. So a lot more YouTube videos. I've been trying to publish a lot more on the blog, Niche Site Project. And of course, two podcast episodes per week. It is a lot. And I also realize that people don't necessarily want to get an email from me every single day. Um, just personally, I know I don't want to get an email from you know someone that I'm following every single day. I kind of like the you know the the digest type um, newsletter on Fridays, which I have been sending out. And if you happen to be listening to this and you're not on the email list, if you go to nichesiteproject.com click on the green button, you could sign up and then you'll get these emails. But uh, the point, the point that I'm going to make is that when I do send out an email where the purpose is to get people to download podcast episodes, way more people download those podcast episodes. So on the Friday, on the Friday emails that I send out, usually there's, you know, five or six calls to action I'm sending you in different places, sometimes a podcast, sometimes a blog post, sometimes a YouTube video, sometimes other people's content. And there, there's a lot of stuff going on. And whenever that is the case, um, there's less interaction on those emails. And I, I know it, but I also like to you know give the summary to the audience and then you can check out what you want to check out. So what I do realize is Monday emails. So I send out some other emails occasionally. On Monday, if I send out an email and I direct people to the podcast instead of a blog post, for example, the downloads are up dramatically. So I will probably be putting that into the mix, maybe publishing a little bit less on the blog because I I was publishing, trying to publish almost once a week for most of 2019. I'm not sure if I met that, but a lot of weeks I did publish um, something new or republish. I I have been improving and republishing content as well. But um, anyway, people do respond to emails and that is a a good thing to be able to direct, um, I guess, email subscribers to specific episodes. So, and like I said, I could see just 
more downloads for a certain episode on a certain day based on when I sent out such an email. And I think I'll sort of wrap it up and say, I like doing the podcast. It's pretty fun. I am in my closet right now. I I mentioned it's my recording studio. It's a good place to record for any people that are thinking of starting a podcast. And um, I definitely enjoy recording into my like Zoom H4N recorder and a microphone without a computer. Um, I was recording directly into GarageBand. That's how my wife and I did survive the nine to five. I did a handful of episodes like that for the Doug show, but having the computer out of sight, there's a few less distractions. There must be some sort of mental aspect with it as well, but I find that I do a little bit better. I don't make as many mistakes when I'm speaking. Perhaps I'd talk slower when I record it in the closet, but um, it generally works out to be a better episode and I feel better as I'm recording it. So that is um, one aspect. The other, you know, the 2.0, the audio in here is quite good. And the office area, the office space and where my laptop is and the desk and all that stuff, it's in front of two windows. So windows can create some audio issues, but the other part is just like noise. So noise seems to come in through the windows a little bit more from outside, whether it's a, you know, an airplane or some sort of lawn equipment or just highway noise or some of the jokers that live um, close by making noise. So it's just quieter in here. Good audio overall. And before we get to the questions from Chris and from Ryan, I'll I'll just give a pitch for like podcasting. I mean, it's been super fun for me to record these and connect further with audience like yourself. I know I've been able to make some other connections with, you know, people that maybe, uh, to be honest with you, because I have the YouTube channel, they probably would have done an interview with me anyway. But the fact that I could say, hey, I'm going to put it on YouTube and a podcast and, um, I can get it out to the audience, right? They know people are going to listen to it. Now, it is a great way to network. What I want to caution you <laughs> caution you on is tread lightly when you're starting your first um, podcast. And this will be a little bit of a rant, but uh, take it as a, a little piece of advice. So I've been on, I would say probably five podcasts where, I was one of the early guests, one of the first five guests or so, and they they never launched the podcast. So I wasted, you know, my hour or hour and a half of time doing the interview with the person and then they just never ended up launching it. So if you can, if you can get yourself get yourself together, get 10 episodes out, publish 10 episodes and then approach people to do the interviews. And I know you may be thinking, oh, I want, I want my podcast to grow quickly. Um, and I want people to send their audience over to, um, you know, my new podcast because I did an interview with this person, blah, blah, blah. But like I said, I am, I am very hesitant to do an interview with someone that doesn't have 
a podcast or, or sorry, several podcast episodes out there already because people quit. People quit before they even start. They're nervous to get started. And um, I mean, I could appreciate that, right? It's scary to start something new. People are going to criticize you. Maybe they're going to make fun of you, especially on YouTube, by the way. But at the end of the day, what you don't want to do is like waste someone's time. And um, those five people, they totally wasted my time. And whatever they work on in the future, they have to be doing like a fucking bang up job for me to pay attention to them again, because they like, they took one of the things that I can't get back. And that is my, my hour of time that I like probably got nervous and prepared for and all that stuff. And they just, they just wasted it, threw it away. So anyway, podcasting is really cool. It's relatively cheap to get started. And, um, I mean, it's a good way, hopefully, to improve your speaking. I may not be a, the perfect example, but it is a way for you to improve your speaking, get, I guess, sort of get, um, <laughs> that, that's too perfect that I fucked up this little segment here. But, but basically, you have to prepare ahead of time. And then if you're interviewing people, you have to prepare for an interview. So you end up, you end up having to plan a little bit more and then see how that can improve the results. And a quick note, I didn't prepare that little statement. It was sort of coming together in my brain before I said it. And I started talking before I completed the full thought. So with that said, let's uh, pull up the question from, let's do Chris's question first. So let's check it out. Hey, Doug, it's Chris Feltz over in Tampa, Florida. I was curious um, what you do with uh, overlapping keywords. So when you find, um, you know, if you're doing KGR or anything like that, when you've got keywords that are kind of similar, you might have a little bit of nuance between the two. Um, do you include, you know, do you choose the strongest one as the title and then use the other keywords um, as like secondaries? Do you try to go after all of them uh, with their own articles? Um, part of my concern is uh, keyword cannibalization. So, thank you. Thanks to you, Chris, for sending in the question and a couple like vocabulary things to cover before I start to answer the question. So, keyword cannibalization is the situation where you have one or, or sorry, two or more pieces of content that are ranking for the same keyword. So a lot of times what may happen is, um, you know, you publish a couple pieces of content that are pretty similar. Like Chris was saying, they're, they're pretty similar either in, um, like the actual keyword or the answer to the query, right? Whatever the content is. And, um, Google doesn't know which one of those to rank highest. So often what what you will see is uh, maybe you're ranking number seven and number eight for two pieces of content that are kind of similar. And probably, you know, what might happen is if you remove one of those, one of those posts and you sort of combine and consolidate the information, many times if you do that, the post that is remaining will rank higher than either of the other two. Um, sometimes you'll see it go up to like number one or number two, something really high. 
And that was just sort of an arbitrary example of seven and eight. It could be like 17 and 22. And if you combine and consolidate, it could shoot up to the top five. So in essence, like Google is confused about like which piece of content on your site it should rank. Um, and the result is like just a lower ranking for both of them. So that said, um, Chris, there's no like perfect way to do it. So generally what I recommend is think about like the end user and this will sort of come into play for the other answer as well. So think about the end user and is the same like answer, the same content. Is that going to be able to serve the two different, two different yet similar keyword phrases? And if the same piece of content can serve each of them, then great publish just one piece of content and then, yeah, you can sort of put in the other keyword phrase as the like secondary, maybe you make it like an H3 subheading and you add a little section. So it's a little more specific and you're talking to that individual. And I, I, I think that is the best way to handle it. Now, the, the other part is, you know, when you step back and, and you don't think like an SEO and you think about, you know, the end user and what they're really interested in and the problem they're trying to solve. Like if you just think about that, usually it'll guide you in the right direction. So the answer I just gave isn't necessarily like the only way to do it. And in fact, um, typically how I handled this in the very beginning when I was testing the KGR, I would just publish everything separately unless it was literally like just a, you know, the same, the same set of words just rearranged in a different order. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't publish that one, but generally I would publish, you know, all the separate keywords and then see if they ranked and um, if there was cannibalization going on. If I, I would wait to, I would wait like two, three months, see what happened. And then at that point you have data, you, you're testing, right? You're doing a trial and error situation, you're publishing content, you see what happens, and then you can react based on real information, real data, and the real results from Google. And this is, you know, potentially it's information that other people are not paying attention to because they may not be, you know, looking to see if you're doing any sort of keyword cannibalization on your site. They may notice it offhand, but it's a pretty advanced sort of uh, thing to check on. So it's probably unlikely that someone is going and checking on it on your site. So anyway, the point is you have like very interesting data based on real results that you can take action on. So Chris, one other option is to, you know, publish the content and then see what happens. And then if you need to combine content or consolidate, as I talked about before, then you can do it on a, you know, case by case basis and the sort of deeper technical thing that you have to think about and the thing that you have to do is if you combine and consolidate the content, as I mentioned, you should do a 301 redirect from the content that you're getting rid of and point that 301 redirect to the, you know, the, the page that is going to serve um, those terms, right? Those keyword phrases. So basically you're going to get rid of one post you're going to 301 direct it to the other post. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can just Google it, but 
and get a little bit more information. But the 301 redirect basically tells Google that, hey, this content doesn't exist anymore. Here's a relevant um, post, a relevant URL that you can refer to instead. And the positive part of that is that any sort of link juice, any links that have that were pointing to the post that you're getting rid of will now be pointing through that redirect to the consolidated post. So you end up like not losing, hopefully, any of those rankings. And I've done this a number of times. Typically, it works out well, and I haven't lost any rankings from it. So hopefully that helps you out, Chris. Let's listen to Ryan's question here. So let me cue this baby up. Hey, Doug, my name is Ryan. I'm a longtime listener, and I've been just devouring your podcast lately. And uh, in the in-between episodes, I've been going back and uh, listening to all your back episodes. Uh, I have a question for you. I've stumbled onto what I feel is a pretty good niche that uh, I'm passionate about and have a lot of knowledge on. Uh, I've kind of looked around, done some Google and some homework, uh, there's a lot of opportunity within this niche. Not a lot of content uh, currently exists. I'm kind of suffering from some paralysis by analysis right now. The Within this niche, there are several products from brands and manufacturers that um, can't be found on Amazon. Uh, and to really be recognized as an authentic, knowledgeable source in this niche, I need to kind of pay tribute to those manufacturers and link back to their products. So that's kind of my dilemma. I, you know, do I forego some of that potential traffic and direct consumers away from Amazon towards these other products? Um, and my, my thought process is there is that I will, in doing that, uh, instill confidence in these uh, consumers that I am a genuine, uh, authority on the subject and, uh, you know, that more than just making the sale on Amazon, I, you know, I genuinely do want to help and inform and educate some of these uh, consumers. Um, uh, what are your thoughts? What's your feedback there? You know, uh, I obviously want the sales traffic, uh, but I also want, I uh, don't want them to see right through me and think that I'm just after the sale. You know, I do want to be uh, the authority within that niche. Um, I appreciate any feedback you might have for me. Uh, thanks a lot. Bye. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Good question there, and I like I like how you're approaching it. So you're you're like, I want to make sure <laughs> that I'm trying to serve the visitor. I don't want them to see through. Yeah, you know, it's not charity. You're trying to make some money here. So I like how you're thinking about it. So number one, I'll just I'm not gonna beat around the bush too much here. So yeah. Go ahead, link to those manufacturers that are not selling on Amazon. That is fine. Again, if you just step back, you don't think like an, like an SEO, an SEO, and uh, you don't think like a um, affiliate marketer. You're just thinking, all right, this person is interested in these kinds of products. Here's a handful on Amazon. Here's a handful that maybe they're not available on Amazon, but they're good products. So... Yeah, you can link to the manufacturers, whatever. That's great. You can, you know, keep that in mind that maybe you want to direct people to Amazon a little bit more than not to Amazon. 
So maybe you put the other manufacturers that are not available on Amazon at the bottom of the post. You know, just historically, people are not going to go all, not all the people, not as many people are going to make it to the very bottom of the post. And if you can put the clicks over to Amazon, your affiliate links higher on the pages, that's probably going to drive more people to Amazon. So that's one way to, you know, serve the audience, help the searcher and still sort of have a priority on the Amazon side. So that that's cool. I like how you're thinking about it. And the other part, the 2.0 is you can start um, observing like how much traffic you're sending over to those other sites. And, you know, before you necessarily like contact them directly, you can check to see if they are a vendor, if they are a seller on other platforms, non-Amazon affiliate, right? So share a sale, there's uh, like Commission Junction. There's a few others. I think Commission Junction is still around, but I know ShareASale is a, you know, an affiliate marketplace that I work on quite a bit for internet marketing type products, not necessarily anything on my affiliate sites, but they do have affiliate relationships or it's an affiliate marketplace. So you can, you know, log in and have relationships with those other companies. So there are thousands of them, many physical products, and you may be able to find that, you know, the company doesn't have an affiliate um, or any products on Amazon, but they do have affiliate uh, accounts and programs that you could sign up for. Now they, they could be managed by something like share sale, or they could also just be managed in house. Now, the fact is, even if they don't have any sort of affiliate program in place, if you know that you are sending them traffic and you can see that you are sending them traffic and then you show them that you're sending them traffic, you have the leverage, right? So you could contact the marketing or sales department, let them know, hey, I'm sending you this traffic. You can see it coming in, like check it out. It's going this direction. And um, you know, if for some reason they don't believe you, you can turn it off, right? You can stop linking to them and they will quickly see the analytics and they'll they'll know. And you can just tell them, hey, I stopped linking. You can see the traffic's not coming in now. So again, if you have the traffic, you have leverage and you can get you can get them to listen to you, right? So maybe they don't want to do an affiliate program with you, but um probably if you're sending them traffic, they are like, oh, holy cow, we're running ads and we're paying, I'm just going to make it up, we're paying, you know, five or eight dollars a click and uh, you can send it to us for free. Well, that's really valuable. Wow, that's qualified traffic. They're interested in buying and um, you're giving uh, like a good rating or you're I guess, providing enough information where the person's like ready to buy, they will definitely listen to you. And it's just a matter of negotiating. It could be a little clunky to figure certain things out and tracking and all that, but you can figure it out. Maybe it ends up being like a coupon code situation or something like that. So it's like the person gets a the potential buyer gets a, a little bit of a discount, but then it's very easy to track a hundred percent that, you know, you sent that lead over to them. So that is sort of my thought on it. And just overall, like I said, 
the fact that, you know, a company may have a good product out there, you want to mention it. And if it fits in and it can be helpful to the searcher, then you you should mention it. I know when I'm like researching products and I see it's so affiliate driven, I, I just, I'm not sure if I could trust the content. And, you know, I'm looking down at my Zoom H4N recorder and I'm pretty sure when I was researching some of these uh, recorders out there, I ended up on sites where like every single recorder was like the best one in the world or they were only reviewing like really high ticket, like very expensive. There were no like middle of the road or entry level products and they only talked about the most expensive ones. And at that point, it's just like, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem accurate. I can't necessarily trust what they're saying. So the fact that you're, you're thinking about it on a deeper level um, is great. And, you know, Ryan, you also mentioned that you have a lot of knowledge about it. It sounds like you found a potentially like untapped niche that you can come in and be an authority in. So anyway, that's cool. Keep me updated, Ryan, about, you know, what you end up doing there. And, um, you know, don't be afraid to to link out to the manufacturer. It's probably not going to cost you very many sales. It may cost you one or two, but it's probably not going to be a huge deal. So thanks everyone for helping us get to 100 episodes. And, you know, we're going to keep up this, uh, this pace of two per week. It's pretty fun. And I, I dig recording, like I said, on, on this recorder right here, the, it's unedited, as you could probably tell by the several missteps. I appreciate your patience, by the way, but it makes the workflow for this whole thing much easier. And that is one thing that I guess I can just chat about as well. I, I don't necessarily have hesitations about like hiring people to, to help with the workflow of like producing the podcast and all that stuff. But I just like a simple system. It's very, it's much easier to like just work with yourself. I mean, I I can work with other people. I'm pleasant enough. I can, uh, you know, collaborate with folks and all that, but doing an interview takes a little bit more time. And usually I have to record a, you know, an intro and an outro separately. I don't have to, but I usually do. And I think for, from a like, presentation perspective, it's better to do the intro and outro. And I always do that. But to just do a solo episode recording straight into a recorder, and then I upload it to an audio like mastering software service called uh, Auphonic, and then it sends it over to YouTube so I could publish it sometime in the future. And then it also puts it on uh, Google Drive so my VA can get the audio file that's been mastered. Um, that Auphonic software, it puts an intro and outro that's pre-recorded for me. It fades it in, fades it out. And then um, my VA can draft the episode in WordPress, put in the show notes, blah, 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 schedule it, and then it's published as it needs to be. So I try and automate things. I try and keep things simple overall. And like I said, the fact is, you know, if I was making, if I was making, you know, $1,000 an episode, um, sure. 
I would hire someone to do any of the pre-production, post-production, do the editing, all that business, but I'm not running ads. I'm not getting paid a thousand dollars an episode or anything like that. Uh, but if I was, so if anybody's out there listening, you want to sponsor me for, you know, even $500 an episode, I'm listening. Shoot me an email, feedback at doug.show. And also if you have questions, feedback at doug.show. I read all those emails. I get tons of great ideas. I have an endless number of ideas at this point for for show show uh, topics and questions and all that stuff. And if you want to be featured like Chris and Ryan, shoot me an email. We're getting better at the voicemails. Um, it's fantastic after I gave some uh, guidelines. I didn't know at the time, but you can... Um, write out your question. The ideal length is about 90 seconds. And I encourage you to you know, write out your question on paper, read it out loud, time yourself, see how long it is. If it's not around 90 seconds, edit it. You know, shorter is fine. Like Chris's was pretty short, very straightforward. I knew the context of the question and all that. The point is uh, 90 seconds is a sweet spot. I'm just using Google Voice, like the free service. So you have a three-minute cutoff. And uh, unfortunately, a few people have recorded longer voicemails. They got cut off. I'm sure, you know, it was inconvenient for them and, uh, you know, harder for me to work with a question that was cut off in the middle. So anyway, thanks everyone for the support. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Doug Show. I really do appreciate it. I mean, I'm just sitting here at my computer recording stuff and uh, you're listening to it. And I think that's awesome. If you enjoy the show and you know someone who maybe would be interested in it, please let them know. I think it would be fantastic if you help spread the word. If you are not signed up for the Niche Site Project email list, well, you're in luck. All you have to do is go to nichesiteproject.com, click the green button, enter your name and email address, and I'll send you a bunch of cool stuff about affiliate marketing, productivity, including all my templates. If you happen to not be subscribed to this podcast, please do subscribe. And don't forget, I welcome your questions. So you could send uh, your emails to feedback at doug.show. I got that really cool domain, doug.show, that's it. So feedback at doug.show. Or I'm going to leave my voicemail number in the show notes. So all you have to do is give me a buzz, leave a voicemail, and then I'll potentially put you on the air. So looking forward to it and we'll catch you next time.